Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you just before tip-off of the team's fourth game of the regular season. This episode is going to talk about the first three games, as well as preview the next three games of this week. So it's perfect timing to hit your ears right before tip-off of tonight's game, and also great to listen to anytime during this week as we talk about the start of the Pistons' regular season. Joining me for this episode is Ben Galker and Ben Qualiata. They talk about what they've liked and what they haven't liked, what they've seen out of certain players like KCP and Andre Drummond, talking about the bench unit, and a lot of other Pistons stuff that I know you're going to love. You're going to really like this episode. And I hope you liked our season preview series. To continue to support this podcast, the best way to do so, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, itunes.com slash Detroit Bad Boys. And if you haven't yet, please rate our podcast on iTunes. It's the best way for us to get some feedback. Also, DetroitBadBoys.com, the home for this podcast. Make sure you're going there to get all of your Pistons needs throughout the regular season. And with that being said, it's time to go to work. So on with me to talk about the first three games of the Pistons season are a couple of Bens that want to talk some Pistons basketball. I've got Ben Qualiata on his birthday. Happy birthday, Ben. Oh, thank you. I, I would ask you how old you are, and we could talk about that, only if you were comfortable with it. But give the people your Twitter handle so they can send you some celebration and, and some kind Pistons words. Uh, so the Twitter is at BadBoysSkip, exactly how it sounds. And thank you for asking. I'm 21, so it's a big one. Oh, that is a big one. Is it big in Australia? Is 21 legal age? No, it's 18, so sorry, that's special. Oh, okay. Okay, so not quite as special, but still, yeah, 21's a big deal. So joining me is Ben Gulker. Not your birthday. But real quick before we get into basketball, shout out to all my Spartan fan friends out there. <laughs> it's been a decade coming, and I'm just basking in the glory of the Wolverines being back. It's nice to be back. Yeah, I think this is the time that some... Michigan fans can come out of hiding. The Wicked Witch uh, may be dead, so we can finally we can finally enjoy ourselves now. And still at number two this week. That's right. I know it's exciting stuff. And the Pistons two and one. Good start to the season for the Pistons. So if you're a Michigan fan and a Pistons fan, things are going pretty well right now. Uh, we'll forget about the Lions. I don't want to talk about them. So I know both of you got to see the first three games. I think we'll just go game by game to kind of just break it down, then try to get some overall impressions. Maybe talk about some players and what you've seen so far. Uh, but it all started uh, October 26th on the road to start the season against the Toronto Raptors, 109-91, to a tough loss for the Pistons. Just didn't really look good in this one. Uh, early in the game, it was Toronto's offense. Late in the game, it was the Pistons missing shots. Uh, Gulker, I'll start with you. What were your big takeaways from that first game? Yeah, so I'll try to stay as positive as possible. Um, so to me... First game of the season and first three, really. Tobias Harris, he's been the Pistons' best player on offense by quite a wide margin. And that's exciting to me because I thought he was really going to have to step up in Reggie Jackson's absence. And I think he's done that quite well. Uh, He's been handling the ball. We've seen him as the ball handler in some pick and rolls, one of the things we talked about in the preseason podcast. He's shooting the ball really well from all over the floor. So to me, Tobias stood out in the Toronto game and he stood out – for the whole season. And then um, sort of related to that, I think the Pistons big man rotation as a whole, um, in spite of being really poor defensively against Toronto, actually did some nice things on offense. And I think 
Uh, Luer and Baines were, were pretty solid off the bench. And then Drummond got in some foul trouble early, and then I, I know also kind of got hit in the head, and so really was a non-factor uh, in the entire first half. So basically the stat line that he put together, 16-6, and six, was almost entirely in the second half. So if there was a bright spot, and it really wasn't much of one against Toronto, uh, I would say it was the front court players led by Tobias Harris. Yeah, I agree. And with Tobias so far, outside of maybe the issues with turnovers in the first three games, I've been really impressed with the way he's played. Ben, I know you've you've kind of talked about that as well when we were talking about the first few games. Uh, what have you liked about Tobias so far this year that maybe you didn't see last year? Well, I think what we're seeing is um, the sort of natural progression um, that you'd expect from a player like him with a coach and a system who believes in him. I think, you know, a lot of people were surprised how he started the season last year in Orlando as almost an afterthought in that scheme. And I think when he came to Detroit, he sort of reemerged. It was almost like he was able to just kind of forget about that tough start in Orlando. And he's, as we've talked about in the past, really such a natural fit next to Andre Drummond. And I think he actually works pretty well with Marcus Morris too. So uh, he's shooting the ball pretty well from deep. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased about that. It's odd that our best shooters are power forwards, <laughs> but you got to take the shooting where you can get it with this roster. Um, but to me, the thing that stands out the most is his ability to score in a variety of different ways. And I think, you know, he, he plays like a small forward at the power forward position, and that presents problems for teams like the Bucks, for example, who really aren't particularly mobile. Um, at the power forward slot. So to me, it's just the versatility and how dynamic he is with the ball uh, on the offensive side. I didn't really expect us to win that game. I think, you know, going against the Eastern Conference finalists in the first game of the season without your starting point guard was always an uphill battle. Um, But the thing I found the most interesting, uh, besides Harris's, I suppose, really good start, was the usage rates of our starting lineups. And our backcourt really kind of deferred, and that's something that I really wanted to see because, as we pointed out a lot on this podcast, if we're going to really kind of break even or hold steady until Reggie gets back, we need to rely on Tobias and, to a lesser extent, Marcus. And KCP and Ish having really low usage rates, uh, and even Stanley off the bench, I thought that was quite good to see. So is that something you want to see going forward, is the the lower usage rate for even the backcourt players and uh, have the ball more in Tobias and Marcus's hands? I think while Reggie's out, yeah, because Reggie can kind of create a lot more space with his driving ability, and he has a somewhat respectable three-point shot. So I think while Ish is in the middle, uh, sorry, while Ish is running it, I think we need to kind of let Harris and Marcus kind of work towards their game first and let KCP be kind of a catch-and-shoot option, at least until Reggie gets back. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. With, with Ish Smith, I have been... Uh, I guess not. there's nothing about his game so far that I've been surprised. It's kind of what we expected. We've talked in this podcast about his three-point shooting being an issue, and that definitely showed up in the Toronto game going 0-4. Uh, but averaging at least seven assists in each game so far, uh, Quags, is that good enough to, to hold us over until Reggie comes back? Yeah, I mean, besides the three-point shooting, I think Ish is just kind of a lesser version of Reggie. I mean, he's a lot better driving to the hoop. He finishes reasonably well for someone of his size. Um, he's pretty athletic. He can get to the paint and kind of find the open shooter in the corners. So, yeah, I think if he can get that seven, eight assists a game, at least his turnovers in the Toronto game was non-existent, so that was a good start. So I think if he can just kind of manage it well and not try and be too creative and too uh, flamboyant, then I suppose that's something that we can at least 
look to have a staying presence until Reggie gets back. Mm-hmm. And, and Ben, what have you thought about the other point guard, uh, Bino, Benno, Udra? How do you say his name, Ben? Let's start with that. <laughs> uh, I say it like good old George Blaha says it. So I'm going to say Benno Udra, but I don't know if that's correct. I'm going to, I'm going to assume George Blaha did his homework. Um, yeah, that's you fair. Know, he was abysmal against Toronto, in my opinion. I know the DVB Twitter handle actually kind of pointed him as a bright spot in the Toronto game. I did not think he played well at all. Um, so to me, you know, he didn't make or break anything. He didn't play that much. Um, but point guard, you know, point guard play was not a strong, a strong part of the Toronto game, but not very much was. Um, I, I'll have more positive things to say, though, about Benno, because I think he looked really good tonight against the Bucks. And I think he played pretty well against Orlando. He just he didn't start well in his first game with the Pistons, that's for sure. I wanted to focus a bit on a few players for the Raptors that just really had great games. I, that was the the big story on Detroit Bad Boys was 72 combined points from Jonas Valanciunas and DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan having 40 points. Uh, I know we've talked so much about KCP and you know his ability to guard players uh, at the at the one and two. And somehow, and sometimes take away the best offensive option for teams. Uh, what was it about Demar Derozan, Ben, that made it difficult for KCP? Was it just one of those nights where he couldn't be stopped, or did you see something else than that, other than that? So one of the few things I really like about Mark Jackson, um, he whenever there's an offensive player who's excelling and playing up to the best of his capabilities, he'll say something to the effect of "Great offense beats great defense." Uh, and, and I think Demare just made some very difficult shots. He takes a lot of difficult shots. I mean, he takes a lot of mid-range jumpers and a lot of contested jumpers. And, you know, I didn't think KCP did a particularly poor job. I think he, he did a fairly average job. And he or Demar just hit some, some difficult shots. And sometimes that's going to happen. I think especially at the beginning of the season, guys are amped up. It's the home opener and the season opener. And DeMar's really coming off of a breakout uh, year last season. And I think it was just kind of the perfect storm. He he was fresh, he was rested, and he made a whole lot of difficult shots. And unfortunately, it, it made KCP look really bad. You know, all the preseason rumors about how much money he was asking for and so on and so forth. And then he didn't really perform well on the offensive side of the ball either uh, against Toronto. But no, I, I you know, I couldn't fault him. I think... He was just absolutely on fire and throwing up ridiculously difficult shots that just kept on going in. I think I agree with you that it was really just a, a good offensive night for DeRozan. Uh, but KCP, and I guess since we've talked a bit about the backcourt so far with this game, I'll just continue with KCP. Quags, I, I was really frustrated with how he played on the offensive end in that game. It seemed like too many long twos, some really bad decisions, uh, you know, 0 for 3 from 3-point. Through three games, what have you seen out of KCP? Uh, and is it, I think it's too early to judge for the contract, but um, wh- how do you rank these first three games for KCP? Yeah, so I mean, obviously his first game wasn't the best. I don't think he can do much when DeRozan does go off, which is actually quite big for a shooting guard. And he's got long arms. And he lives in the post, so you can't really fault him for him making all those ridiculous shots. That's true. But in terms of in terms of offensively, I mean, we all want to see him become that semi-consistent three-point shooter, you know, in the mid to high 30s. Whether that happens this year or not, I don't know. I haven't seen anything in the first three games to think that it will. I mean, he made a couple of threes tonight. One of them was pretty ridiculous on the fast break. But um, it, it does seem like 
he, he kind of forces a lot of his mid-range shots. He, a couple of dribbles, then just kind of pulls up. And he's not that type of player. He, I said it multiple times. He's a lot better in the catch and shoot than in the isolation. So that's why I think. I guess part of it could be without Reggie, and I think getting used to playing with Ish Smith. But at the same time, I'd like to see him kind of defer a little bit more and work for his open shots. And he's a really good in transition. Like he, he's almost perfect in that aspect of the game. I think he started three for three tonight. So. If he gets going early inside, then I think he earns the right to have a couple of outside shots, especially if they're wide open. Like, if you're open, shoot it. Yeah, I think your point about transition is spot on, and I actually wanted to talk about that because when the team defense is as bad as it was against Toronto, just because of the way the game of basketball works, you're not going to get many transition opportunities. And I think of the guys on the Pistons roster, KCP probably suffers the most from that because – that spot up th- or that transition three that you just mentioned, Quags. I-, I feel so good about KCP taking that shot so much better than I do him taking a shot in the half court because it just seems like there's something about the, the transition game that just works for him. He fills the lanes really well. He finishes on the break really well, and he seems to shoot pretty well in transition. So I think when you're giving up 109 points, you're just not going to have that many opportunities in the fast break. And I think we saw that in KCP's game, two for nine, terrible shooting night. And I think we saw tonight against the Bucks, the defense was working. He had a couple buckets in transition, and I think that really just rejuvenates uh, everything else with respect to his offensive game. So he started yeah. the year two for 11 from three-point. Uh, clearly that's that's not good enough, even for what we our low expectations for KCP for this season, Ben. The last two games, has that, that made you feel a little bit better about his game? Or, I you know, guess I'm just still, tonight, really, because the Orlando yeah. game wasn't much better. He, yeah, he has not played well offensively yet. He played well offensively tonight, I suppose, but you know, not standing. I'm still concerned about his offense. There's, As Quag said, there's nothing in the first three games that says to me he's turned a corner. So you know, hopefully he's just had three poor games and he's going to bounce back because so far he's definitely not a $20 million shooting guard. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, that's true. And with that being the number, uh, it's difficult for the Pistons knowing that they'll be over the cap. And with the cap uh, going up this summer, uh, it's going to be very difficult, I think, to give him that money if he continues to play like this. So hopefully we see him rejuvenated after these first three games and we start to see some better play on the offensive end. Um, I expected it a bit more in the Orlando game. And then looking at the box score, it was a little bit more of the same from KCP from game one. Uh, But Ben, you touched on the team defense and transition game. And that was noticeably better against Orlando. Uh, they beat the Magic 108-82 on the home opener Friday night. Team just looked really good, top to bottom. Uh, any major takeaways that you had in that game, Ben? Well, I was really encouraged by Ben Udra. I thought he, after game one, I was worried that we had another Steve Blake situation on our hands. And I was really concerned that at 34 years old, maybe he was just done and we were in trouble. But I thought he played really well against Orlando, so that was encouraging for me. Uh, Tobias stood out again, in my opinion. Uh, and I thought I, I was really excited about Ish Smith after the Orlando game. I don't expect him to go shoot eight for 13 every night, you know, 61% from the field. But I thought he um, commanded the floor well. I thought he orchestrated well. And I think the thing that stands out about his game uh, in Orlando is just how slippery he is off the dribble. And that's something I, I don't think I particularly was tuned into uh, after watching him play in Philadelphia last year. Uh, he's really he's really crafty off the dribble in spite of the fact that, you know, people aren't necessarily pressuring him. You know, they're sort of inviting him to shoot from 17 feet away, but he's still able to get to the bucket. 
And as Quagg mentioned, he, he's actually finished fairly well around the rim. Uh, so to me, that was super encouraging, uh, was the point guard play after a really disappointing opener in Toronto. Yeah, secretly decent is how I described his game uh, <laughs> in the intro of the last podcast. That He just does enough uh, that, that I think earns that 20 minutes a night that he got in the last two games uh, playing behind Ish Smith. And Ish and... You know, they they combined at, uh, at the point guard spot against Orlando to have 13 assists to two turnovers, uh, our two point guards. So I, I think the point guard play has been pretty good in the absence of Reggie Jackson. I know that that was something we really were worried about going into the year, and so far it hasn't been uh, a major concern. Uh, Quags, I'll, I'll ask you, just any major, any major takeaways from that second game or anything you liked uh, from the Pistons? Uh, well, firstly, let's be clear. Orlando's rubbish. I mean, I'm sorry if there's any Magic fans listening, but what that their roster is just so confusing. I don't even want to. It, it's it's Mo Cheeks 2.0 really. Uh, Aaron Gordon at the three. So I think what I noticed is that I don't know if it was their offense or our defense, but they were settling for a lot of jump shots, and they're not a jump shooting team at all. Especially when you got Aaron Gordon at the three, who's better inside. Ibaka's kind of always been a bit inconsistent as a shooter. And then Bucevic, who was really nice, but he was kind of having an off game as well. So I don't know if that was just their def- uh, their offense being a bit special and not being able to get inside, but I thought that that allowed us a lot more transition because we were kind of allowing them to take the shots that we knew they weren't good at. Yeah, I think it was the, the defense overall did a much better job. You're right. And it kind of carried over to the Milwaukee game as well, just trying to take away the strength of the opposition. Uh, ben, any anything you anything else you noticed about the defense in the last two games? Well, it is hard to say if it's a function of bad offenses or good Detroit defense. There's nothing about the Pistons' defense that you know leaps off the screen when I'm watching. The last two nights, I think it's a function of the Bucks and the Magic. I actually like a lot of the pieces on both of these teams. And I think they're probably going to win somewhere in the low to mid 30s. They'll they'll have games where they shoot better than they did against the Pistons. Um, but I think Quags diagnosed it correctly. I, I think the Pistons just forced both the Magic and the Bucks into taking shots that they just don't want to take, and those end up being really low percentage shots, and they just didn't go in. So you've got guys like Vucevic and uh, Aaron Gordon, guys who you you know you think would be a little more potent offensively, just taking shots that aren't in their wheelhouse and uh, struggling as a result of that. I think um, I think the Pistons did do a good job chasing the Magic off the perimeter. They did take more threes than I was expecting. Uh, I think they did a pretty good, good job of that as well. Um, but I think some of it's a function of when I watch the Magic, I, you know, I look at that roster and say, yeah, there's some guys I like, but what is the game plan? And I think the same thing with the Bucks. Um, you know, what, what is their scheme? What is their system? And I'm not sure any of them really know. And, and so it becomes a lot of one-on-one bailout shots in the last four seconds of the shot clock, and that's just not going to get it done against anybody. Uh, and the Pistons, I think, were the benefactors of that. Yeah, I wanted to jump off of what Quag said as well. I, I think Orlando looked really bad. And I, I got to see a bit of them uh, on League Pass the other night as well. Um, when the the game before they play the Pistons, uh, they they look noticeably slower than the teams they're playing, and I, I think that's going to be a real problem with some of the lineups they're rolling out because uh, they had Vucevic, Gordon, and Ibaka playing together. I didn't see Gordon and Hazonia on the court at the same time, which was something I was kind of looking forward to. Uh, in transition, they're terrible. The team defense isn't there yet. I'm sure with Frank Vogel that will get better over time, but 
offensively, they just look like this season's going to be a real struggle because they don't have someone that can bail them out, like you said, Ben. Uh, that's well, it, sho- it shocked me, like, watching Serge Ibaka play. Like, I was watching him play, and you're right, saying that it was slow, that's exactly the right way to describe it. And I was looking at Ibaka thinking, where is the player who's been in Oklahoma City for the past several years? He just looked completely disinterested, completely disengaged, and just a, as far as his stat lines normally look, just a very poor stat line, not engaged in the glass or on defense. So Ibaka, I think, is a case study of kind of what's going on in Orlando right now. Quags, were you going to say something? Oh, I just said he looked really old, I think. And he only played 19 minutes as well. Yeah, well, he's one, one of those more. guys where it's always rumored that he might be like 45 years old. <laughs> yeah. And that's always, yeah, since, that's since awesome. right, since draft day, that's always kind of been the like snarky little rumor about Ibaka. Uh, but that's a team that I think is just dying to play with a stretch four, try to get either Gordon at that four spot or maybe play Ibaka more at the five. I know Vucevic played okay um, against the Pistons, but. I don't know. I, I think they just need to find some something else, some other action for that offense, because right now it just looks pretty broken in Orlando. Uh, that's a team I, I felt comfortable going into the season that the Pistons would be better than, and I've, I, I continue to feel that way, unless something pretty major happens to Orlando. Uh, another team I felt the same way about was the Bucks. So going into tonight, I thought this was kind of a statement game for the Pistons. I felt that in the past few seasons, this was a game we would lose often. Um, and we looked really good tonight, 98-83 against the Bucs. Uh, Quags, I'll start with you. What did you like about tonight's win against the Bucs? KCP, really. Just the fact that he actually got 20 points this time instead of the low usage. So that was really positive for me. Also, Drummond in the post, not necessarily in the post, but around the basket, I thought he did really well. In the first bucket was a nice up and under. Had a nice spin around Sladovic, who, let's be honest, isn't a great defender. Um, but I think in general, Drummond played really well as well. Four of eight from the free throw line is always a positive. And I know he was like three for four, and then he kind of butchered the last few. But um, yeah, I think KCP and Drummond were my two big takeaways from tonight, as in uh, finally getting going a little bit. And Drummond, the 2020 standard, what can you say, really? Ben, we kind of mentioned this before recording, that you almost take for granted Andre Drummond's rebounds. It, 20 rebounds against Orlando, 23 tonight, uh, including eight offensive rebounds against Milwaukee. It's it's tough to take it for granted, but another 2020 game uh, in his early career with the Pistons, uh, that, that to me was what really stuck out. Anything else that stuck out to you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The fact that we didn't even mention that Andre Drummond grabbed 20 boards and a blowout win against the Magic in only 27 minutes speaks to the fact that I think we do sort of take it for granted. So we should absolutely call out the fact that he's the best rebounder on the planet. He's the best offensive rebounder on the planet by a huge margin. And I actually really like what Quack said. I I think Andre might have um, a better offensive trajectory in a face-up game than a post-up game. Um, I talked about in the preseason podcast, there's two things I like in terms of his offensive game. The first one is I think he's developing a pretty decent hook shot with his back to the basket. I think the second move he has is a spin move, and he tends to get that off the dribble when he's facing out. And Clyde, you mentioned that that spin move that he had tonight. He had a really nice crossover dribble against Orlando, actually, as well. Um, So it might be interesting to see if they try to take advantage of that a little more because I think it utilizes his uh, lateral quickness that not many people at 6'11 have. Um, 
so yeah, shout out to that part of his offensive game that's developing. Um, I will say the the one thing I don't didn't love about tonight is Marcus Morris taking 16 shots. Um, yeah. I think you know he's basically he's close to leading the team in shot attempts uh, per game. Um, he is leading the team in shot attempts per game, and he's taking two shots more per game than Tobias Harris. That's one thing I'd like to see switched around a little bit. I'd like to see Tobias lead the team in shot attempts, and I'd like to dial back the reliance on Morris a little bit. Cause I think we sort of use him as the safety valve. We, we throw it to him on the high post or we, we kind of hope he can beat his man off the dribble. I don't think he needs to lead the team in shots this year. So that would be the only negative part about tonight's game against the Bucks. What I, what I didn't like just piggybacking off that is that Harris got it going really early. He had eight points, I think in the first few minutes, including a couple of threes. I didn't end up taking 12 shots in the whole game. Morris took 16 and made four. Ish Smith, 5 for 17, which isn't great either. And a lot of his shots were a bit uh, the stupid mid-range variety that he's just not good at. So that's something that I thought, well, Harris has gotten going early. Why not feed him more, especially if he's kind of the one versatile threat to offense he can play inside and out consistently. Yeah, and I think some of it too, when I watch Tobias play, especially when he's putting the ball on the floor, I think sometimes he's a little bit too unselfish. And that's, you know, having unselfish guys is something you want. Um, but I think he needs to gain a little bit more confidence in, in the fact that he's the best offensive option the Pistons have. And so he, he needs to be maybe a little more insistent on, on getting the ball. I think you're right if Smith with 17 shots, leading the team in shots, that should just never, ever happen. And so in spite of the fact that the Pistons win by 15 points and basically were in control from, from wire to wire, offensively it wasn't that great. I mean, 98 points is, is a sub-average performance. So I think there's some lessons to be learned there that, that have to do with scheming and shot distribution. One thing I found interesting, Stanley Johnson, zero shots, four rebounds, two assists, but zero shots. I don't know if that's a coaching thing or if he's just kind of trying to be a bit more involved in other aspects of the game, but I don't know what's going on there. I really have not noticed him much through the first three games. That was a player I was going to just ask if you had noticed anything about his game, because so far I don't have anything, any thoughts about Stanley from what I've seen in three games. Uh, I think he's been very quiet offensively. Ben, do you, do you know why that is? Or is it, you know, kind of like what Quag said, or maybe he's just trying to focus on other parts of his game? You know, it's hard to say. There hasn't been any discussion about it. I think one of the things we've talked about with Stanley quite often is that um, he's got all the physical tools, but he gets in trouble because he, you know, he jumps without a clear plan of whether he's going to shoot or pass, or he gets too deep into the defense without a real plan about what to do with the basketball. And so maybe they've been coaching him to sort of work on his decision making, and maybe he's overcorrecting. But that would just be speculation because you're right; he's basically been a non-factor. He's playing fewer than 15 minutes a game, which I think is fine. But I think you know, one for four against the Raptors, one for four against the Magic, I think. So two for eight on the season, um, only eight shots in three games. That's uncharacteristic. Um, so maybe there's something intentional there, but it's a little bit hard to, to figure out what that might be. No, it's confusing. He's always seemed like the type of person who would be aggressive on offense, you know, driving to the basket, not shy to take a three, ill-advised or not. So, I mean, I mean, he had four rebounds and a couple of assists in 15 minutes, so it's not... He's not completely useless at this point, but it's a weird one. I, I, it, it's almost like I noticed also he just didn't touch the ball a lot, and I can't look at the usage rates on basketball reference because I'm not yet for this game, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he had the, the lowest usage on the whole team tonight because he just didn't seem like they were looking for him at all. 
Yeah, and I think when he's on the floor with John Luer, it seems like the offense is going more to him. And when now that you have a, a real point guard as well, I'm wondering that while that bench starts to kind of gel, uh, if we'll start to see Stanley see the ball more. But you're right, he's just not really getting the ball. Uh, watching this game, yeah, I, I would have guessed he played even less than 16 minutes. Uh, but it is nice to see he still has carved out a role uh, when Stan Van goes to that nine-man rotation and he's not forced to play more than that uh, with, you know, fouls and, and poor play. It's nice to see he's still, in his second year, carved out a role in that nine-man rotation that Stan Van uses, at least for most of the season. Uh, I, I had a rotation question for you, Ben. Do you like so far the players you see coming off the bench? I know in that first and second game, the blowout both ways uh, against the Raptors and Magic, you saw 12 players used, but the majority of the minutes going to certain players. And off the bench, it's Baines, Luer, Johnson, and Udra. Uh, are you happy with that? Yeah, I am. The only thing I don't love is a function of necessity, and I think KCP's minutes are too high. But that's basically because Bullock is injured and there's no real option. Um, I've really liked what I've seen from Luer. I think um, I think we're going to really like him in Detroit. He's He works really hard on the glass. He spaces the floor well. And I've even seen him put the ball on the floor a few times um, and create for other people, which I had no idea was really part of his game. So, yeah, I'm happy with rotation. I think Aaron Baines has been really solid as well. I, I just think he's another guy we sort of take for granted. You know, tonight they went to to hack a Dre to try to disrupt, uh, you know, Drummond and the Pistons offense, and it helped that Dre shot four for eight. But it's really great to be able to put a center out there who's going to rebound well, who's going to finish well, and shoot 75% from the free throw line. So I'm really happy with the rotation. I, I think it'll be great to get Bullock back because I don't think KCP needs to be playing 38 minutes, 35 minutes, 34 minutes, and it's gr- it's great to have his shooting. But I'm particularly pleased with the big man. I think Baines and Luer are very competent, better-than-average backup bigs, and I think that's going to pay dividends over the course of the season. When you have four guys who are all better-than-average for their position, you've got Drummond, who obviously fantastic player, Tobias, who, you know, I think – Tobias actually has all-star potential. I'm not sure he'll get there this year, but I think he's got that potential. And then you've got Baines and Luer, who are both better than average. Baines is a better-than-average backup center, and Luer is a better-than-average backup stretch four slash five. So, yeah, absolutely happy with the rotation and, and with the production from the bench uh, so far, given you know the injuries that we've got. Quags, do you agree with that? Any players you would add to uh, to Ben's list of above average for the Pistons so far? No, I think it's pretty spot on. And just quickly with Baines, I agree he's been really good this season, no bias. Um, <laughs> but if you look, he, he only played 11 minutes tonight, and part of that was because Dre was playing really well, you know, 28 and 23. But Aaron had seven points and seven rebounds in only 11 minutes. That's Boban, like, per 36 production there. So, I mean, when you're getting that from your backup center, when your starting center is also playing really well, uh, I don't think you have any complaints about that. Three or four free throws when they went to the hacker Dre late. Uh, John Lua, nice game, six points, only three rebounds, but I think his rebounding has been something that I've really been impressed with. Um, I didn't know he was that good a rebounder. I think last game, last two games, he's gotten eight or nine rebounds in the first couple. So um, Johnson, I don't know what's going on with him in terms of we can't really pin him as an average or not player yet because we don't know what he can do offensively. Um, and Udry has been really solid, so I have no complaints. Six assists tonight, six points. Few rebounds, five turnovers. So I just saw that, so never mind. Um, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> no complaints about the rotation so far. I think once Bullock comes back, he might get 
spot minutes here and there if we need a bit of shooting, like if we're going a bit cold. Because I don't see anyone else on the bench that's not playing, like Hilliard or uh, Ellenson, Dinajay, whoever else that I'm forgetting. I don't see anyone else there that is that consistent of a shooting threat. Yeah, I agree. And I'm wondering with Ellenson and, and maybe Benajay as well, and, and maybe Hilliard, that those are potential D-League spot assignment players, uh, especially when Bullock gets healthy and, and Reggie as well. Uh, I, I wonder if those guys might see some time in Grand Rapids. Uh, and and that, that might be good for their game because I'm not sure if they can find minutes right now, uh, especially in the front court. I think with the way Luer and Baines have played, and you're right, Baines in just 11 minutes tonight played really well and looked great around the basket and did a great job against some of the bigs against Milwaukee. And that was Milwaukee's advantage. That's the one thing that they talk about is, you know, they're, they're uh, offensively, they're good inside and they've got players that have great post games. Uh, Greg Monroe, of course, uh, only playing 18 minutes tonight. I was kind of surprised by that. And not starting. Not starting, right. And actually, and this was, Quags, I wanted to ask you about this. I noticed that Plumlee played a lot better when Delhi uh, played a lot better when Plumlee was on the floor and not Monroe. Uh, and Delhi played 31 minutes tonight. I guess my question was more about Greg Monroe, but I'll give you a few minutes to talk about Della Vadova if you have any anything to say about him. Oh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> now, I think if you look back to his time in Cleveland, he played really well with Tristan Thompson, you know, just setting the screens and then rolling towards the basket. He's got a pretty good lob pass on him. Um, and I guess Milwaukee's starting lineup is basically Della Padova and four Thompsons. Giannis cuts to the basket, Parker, Plumley around the hoop. So I think he plays better with the athletic um, kind of above-the-rim style players because he can just chuck it up there and, Hope for the best. I think when you have someone like Monroe in there, not that he's a bad player, but he's not the style of player that Delavadova works well with. Um, because I think it just kind of takes away his playmaking ability. I think he's an underrated playmaker. Because Monroe can kind of do it all himself in the post anyway. But on Plumley starting, that's not that surprising because uh, I think they've talked about it for a while. Monroe coming off the bench and maybe not playing only 18 minutes, but I think Plumley was pegged as the starter to run with Delavadova, who's really good in transition and finding uh, the lob big man, which I want to play with Drummond in Detroit, but, you know, whatever. So that actually kind of answer, answers my question about Monroe, just not having the athleticism uh, that maybe works best for Milwaukee offensively. So, Ben, only getting 18 minutes tonight, Greg Monroe. I, I read an article uh, through the Bucks SB Nation site, Fear the Deer, uh, about possibly if they can't find – a trade partner for Greg Monroe looking to dump him at the deadline. Are, are, are you surprised that that's where he's at at this point? I I know they, they put up the stats tonight and Blaha talked about, you know, how he, he leads the league since 2010-11 for centers in points and free throws made and field goal attempts and all, all of these offensive categories. Yeah. So he definitely has the game. What is it that's missing for Greg Monroe? Basically, and one shouts as well. That's right. <laughs> well, he's been the he's been the victim of, I think, two teams in the midst of sort of an identity crisis. I mean, you have sort of the end of Joe Dumars' era, Detroit Pistons, and Josh Smith coming along, and the the jumbo lineup, and and Greg sort of being the odd man out there, uh, and then he goes to Milwaukee where. 
they sort of have an identity crisis of their own, and they're starting a 6'11 point guard in Giannis, and Jabari Parker trying to figure out who he is, and John Henson being a better defender. So it's, you know, Greg Monroe does not have an identity crisis as a player. You know who he is, you know what he can do, you know his strengths, and you know his limitations. But I think he's found himself in situations where the strengths that he adds to the team aren't necessarily the strengths that the team needs. And his weaknesses are exacerbated by the fact that there are players on the roster who are better at the things that he's clearly weak at. So, you know, for example, in, in Milwaukee right now, it's pretty obvious that they're all in on this point Giannis thing. And Della Vidova, I think makes sense as sort of an off guard point guard, if that's a thing. Uh, so I think those two work really well together, but it's hard to see how Greg Monroe fits in that. Because obviously Giannis needs the ball in order to do all of the things that he does in terms of his own scoring, in terms of his facilitation. And Greg Monroe needs the ball because he's a post scorer. He's not a pick and pop player. He's not a dive to the basket for lobs player. He's a below the rim point scorer. And he's really, he's really good at that, but the Bucks don't necessarily need that, at least not in their starting lineup. Um, so, and I think Jabari Parker, it's interesting, you know, he, he and Giannis both shot the ball 16 times tonight. Jabari is a to-the-basket sort of player, and Greg Monroe doesn't necessarily work with that sort of an offensive player either. So that's kind of my diagnosis of it. I think Greg has some really niche skills on the offensive side of the ball, and he's not great defensively. And sort of the trend in the NBA is we're seeing, you know, basically week in and week out, big men who are a little more mobile, who can play 15 to seven feet, 17 feet away from the rim. And that's not who Greg is. So ultimately, you know, I think there's a place for him in the NBA. I think he's very skilled. He's got great footwork. Uh, and I think he has some really nice post moves. I think he needs to find the team that needs the Al Jefferson type of player. And to me, that's, that's the thing. He's just got to find that right fit. And maybe that does mean accepting a bench role because that's kind of what Al's career has turned into in the latter part of his career. Uh, but I can definitely see why it wouldn't work in Milwaukee because they're going in a very different direction behind uh, Giannis and Jabari. And, you know, it just looks to me like Jason Kidd wants to take the team in that direction. And unfortunately for Greg, he's the odd man out yet again. What I've noticed with Milwaukee's lineup is that it's kind of two different teams in the one team. So you've got the starting lineup with Giannis and Parker and Plumley and Tony Snell and Delhi running at all, that's kind of a transition lineup. They're really athletic, except for Delhi. Uh, they get out and run, uh, and they bother people defensively. Then you have the second unit with Brogdon and Monroe and Toledovich, and that's kind of a half-court offense. So it's kind of two different styles of play within the one team. Um, Michael Beasley as well, who's a bit of both. I, I just don't like Beasley. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of you have the athletic transition starting lineup, and then once uh, they tie, you kind of get into more of a half-court set offense uh, with Brogdon and Monroe kind of as the focal points of that. And, like, when I looked at them on paper going into the season, you would think that that approach could work. And I think the way you've analyzed it is, is really spot on. You would think that that could work. But, man, seeing it on the court tonight, it was just a disaster. I mean, there was no discernible game plan at any point except when they threw the ball into Greg Monroe. That's the only time any of it really made sense to me. And he was only on the court for 18 minutes of the game. And it just looked scattered and discombobulated and like a bunch of really young players who didn't know what the heck they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, theoretically you've got 
Brogdon and Monroe as the one five kind of pick and roll post up, and then you've got theoretical shooters in Toledovich, uh, Rashad Vaughn, and Michael Beasley around them. So conceptually, it should work. Um, the problem is that none of those players are particularly consistent. I mean, Brogdon's a rookie, uh, Toledovich is a bit, uh, he's a flamethrower to put it mildly. And Beasley just yeah. came off the MVP season in China, so you don't know what you're going to get with him. Uh, and Vaughn's had statistically, I think, the worst rookie season ever last year. So, I mean, I can kind of see where they're going with it, if that if if I'm right in that that's what they're actually doing. I could be totally wrong. Um, but I don't think the personnel they have is maximizing the efficiency of what I think they're trying to do. I mean, Delhi's the only guy who can knock down a three-point shot in that whole starting lineup. I guess... Snell kind of can as well, but I mean, really, you've got two guys who are two of the rim players and Jabari and Giannis. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just very discombobulated. Lots of, again, lots of nice individual pieces, but it just did not come together at all so far for them. Yeah, and I have a feeling that Monroe might have even saw less minutes tonight if Henson wasn't in foul trouble because you only had Henson play 12 minutes, and I know they like him as one of the few rim protectors on this team. Uh, I wonder if that would have dug into some of Monroe's minutes, even though he only got 18 minutes. Uh, But Quags, I think you're right. I think that's what they want to do, because it was a relatively clean game for them, so this is kind of the look that they wanted to give the Pistons tonight. Uh, But I think the problem is defense with the Bucs. I I think the starters definitely have a problem, and that's why they had to separate Monroe and Parker, because they found out last year that that that's just a combination of forwards that's not going to work uh, on the defensive side. Uh, so yeah, even with some of the offensive shortcomings we've talked about, I know that defense is also going to be a, a pretty major concern for them. And I, I noticed it with the Pistons. I don't think the Pistons played that well offensively, but we got some really easy looks at the basket, uh, and also got some open threes, a few of which didn't fall. Uh, I know some of Marcus's threes, uh, John Luer had one in the corner that didn't go. So it could have been even worse for the Bucks if some of our shots would have fallen tonight. Um, so that's I, really ironic. Because only a couple of years ago, they were one of the better defensive teams, starting none other than Brandon Knight at point guard. So it's kind of gone all downhill from there. That's true. And I'm sure adding Delhi, that's part of what they want to improve with that starting unit is the defense. Uh, because he definitely can, can get after it in that way. And you're right. It's a team that's built for the half court with those starters. I think it's going to take a little bit of time, especially with Giannis having the ball in his hands more. It's going to take a little time for this to all work out. But I still just see too many problems with this team to to really consider them a playoff team, even at this early point in the season. Uh, so I guess with the Pistons through three games, we looked pretty good against teams that the three of us were not as high on and and didn't look as good against the Raptors, a team that we expect to be in the playoffs. And uh, Quags, you even said a game that you did not expect the Pistons to win. So could there possibly be a reversal of the narrative from last year? And Ben, this is something that on Twitter I kind of had mentioned in a comment that I, I think uh, – was a question someone had posed to you. Is there a chance that maybe this year we're good against the bad teams and bad against the good teams, different from what we were last year? I hope not. <laughs> I really, really hope not. I think the that question is, I think, going to be settled in, in the backcourt. I really do think that our big man rotation is, is the best in the Eastern Conference, and I think that night in, night out, we're going to get quality production because we're too deep at both power positions. And have quality players in all four of those roles. But I think backup small forward is a big question mark right now. Stanley Johnson has been a non-factor. Um, 
backup shooting guard, we don't have one at the moment. And then the point guard situation, we've talked a lot about without Reggie. So to me, that's kind of where things are going to live and die. I think we're going to get consistent production out of the bigs. And, uh, you know, we've had really inconsistent production out of the backcourt. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, Toronto sort of cashed in on that when DeRozan went nuts. But I hope that's not the case because um, I, I still have – I'm holding on to some high hopes for this team. Um, but unfortunately, that might be a reality. We, when we run into those power teams with really strong backcourts, um, I'm, unfortunately, the really early indications are looking that like that might be a problem for us. Yeah, I think you're right, because we saw that with, with Valanchunas especially. Uh, luckily, there aren't that many of that type of player with his ability when he's healthy. So hopefully you're right that, that it's it's maybe just a more of an issue of matchups than just kind of overall being poor against the good teams. Uh, yeah, and it's just so hard to say, like, yeah. with a guy like Reggie who carries such a heavy load... I mean, the fact that the Pistons are two and one right now and had two very convincing wins, I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised by that. I was very concerned after that first Toronto game, seeing the way Ishmith Ish played as a starter. Um, the fact that they're two and one is a huge win. I mean, that's a huge positive thing. And the fact that those wins were very convincing against bad teams is also a very good thing because when you look at the first 15 to 20 games of the season – it's not the hardest part of the schedule and it gives them a, a better chance. If they, if they are better against the bad teams, it gives them a better chance of being 500 by the time Reggie gets back, which means the playoffs are still a very real possibility. So Quags, just to kind of continue off of that uh, in the, in the next week, the Pistons will play home games against the Knicks and Nuggets and a road game in between against the Nets uh, before our next podcast recording. What would you like to see from the team just in the next few games? Um, yeah, what would you like to see from the team in the next few games? Uh, three wins. No, but in all seriousness, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see Harris get more usage. I think he's the one that kind of makes our offense tick in terms of that inside-outside threat. Um, I'd like to see Johnson like, just show me something, I guess, because he, he hasn't really done anything good or bad that's kind of made me have an opinion on him. Um I want to see Ish take less than 17 shots, including zero three-pointers, because I think that's his game. I mean, if he is taking 17 shots, I hope they're all at the rim. Um, the Knicks game worries me a little bit, because I think that's the type of team that, for, for whatever reason, we'll just struggle against. You know, big names and Mello going off and Brandon Jennings having the big revenge game and Joaquin Mello somehow getting a quadruple-double. Uh, and then we had anyone that can guard Paul Zingas. So I guess that game worries me a bit. The Denver and Brooklyn games I'm not too concerned about because we have beaten up on the bad teams so far. So I'd, I'd like to think that that would continue. I'm hopefully the days of us losing to Philly and letting them break their world record losing streak are gone. So um, I'd just like to see us kind of be more consistent, uh, get Harris the ball more get Drummond in a few more pick-and-rolls and kind of limit Ish's shot attempts a little bit. I think that's what I want to see the most. Ben, what about you? What do you want to see in the next three? Yeah, I think really these are three teams that the Pistons can and should beat, even without Reggie. I think the Knicks, the Knicks are the biggest hurdle. I think Quags laid all of that out perfectly. Mellow and Porzingis are tough matchups for us. Uh, I like Morris. I like the way he can body up Mellow. 
Um, but Melo, I think, has the lateral quickness advantage, and Melo can make tough shots, just like we saw DeRozan do, and, and great offense can be great defense. But uh, I think at Brooklyn, that's a game the Pistons, those are the kinds of games that this Pistons team should win. Jeremy Lin might be a little bit of a headache. I think he's off to a fairly decent start. Um, not shooting the ball particularly well, but, you know, for our point guards, Ish isn't a great defender. Um, I think he's been adequate and competent, not a great defender. He's the only guy that scares me on Brooklyn's roster. And then the Nuggets, I, you know, I don't really even know what to expect from them. But those are the, again, those are the kind of games the Pistons really need to win. Uh, and the, I think the Pistons pose problems for both of those rosters, for both the Nets uh, and the Nuggets, especially in the front court. Both of you mentioned Ish Smith, and the one thing I really want to see in the next three games is I don't want to see Ish get baited into those open threes. That I, I you notice it twice against the Bucks, where the Bucks basically said, "Go ahead, we'll, we'll give you one at the top of the key if you want it," and Ish would take a second and then say, "Okay," and then just fire up a terrible shot. I would like to see that. I would like to see less of that. Uh, and Quags, I think you're right. I want to see him getting to the basket more. Uh, and offensively, with Tobias having the ball more in his hands, uh, because the offenses looked really good uh, with Tobias Harris kind of running the running the show, and more from Andre Drummond. He's been great in the last two games, even with a bit of a slow start against Milwaukee in that first quarter. Uh, he's been fantastic, so I'd like to see that continue as well. Quags, anything else? Flashbacks of someone else called Smith. Sorry, when you said baited into <laughs> open threes. So, oh God, that's right. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a little too close. To, yeah. That's, that's very true. That That's kind of what it's reminiscent of. You're so right. There's just no reason he should take those shots. And there's also no reason he should take the open 17-footer that they, he's been given to because the three is actually a better shot than the 17-footer going by the percentages. There's really no reason he should ever shoot more than 10 times a game, I don't think, because he is a good passer. He just He has to just not take those shots. Yeah, he needs to go to the Steve Nash school of just stop doing that. I remember hearing an interview with Steve Nash where he said, I just had to learn to stop doing certain things. And Ish Smith needs to do the exact same thing. Quags, was there anything else you wanted to talk about Pistons related uh, or podcast related um, since we've got you on? Uh, Well, I just sent out a quick tweet before we started asking for questions. Uh, I only got one, but it's a really good one. Go ahead Um, if you have it. It's from Chris or Chris. I don't know how to say it, whatever. But, you know, the long-time dvb And basically, all she said was, is there a timeline for Udry's haircut? <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out to Kreez and say, you bring the knives, and I think the haircut will happen. And, and she'll know what I mean by that. <laughs> you bring the knives. Oh, you, any thoughts just having two players with a, a similar haircut with Baines and Udra? Is that a good sign for this team, Quags? Oh, I'm not, because Baines looks awful. It just bothers me because when he wears the mask, the strap just goes along the bald side of his head. And I just can't say that would be comfortable at all. Surely that itches. Oh, right. See, right. I could I could live with the beard or the haircut, but I, I cannot live with both. It's just doubly offensive. It is. Yeah, and that you're right. That, that space before the top of his head, especially when he's wearing the mask, it just looks ridiculous. I, I guess Benno doesn't bother me quite as much as Bane's. But uh, if one had to go, it's got to be Baines in terms of the haircut. Yeah, and, and Benos is not shaved down like with the big razor. Like he's got the, <laughs> the close cut, you know, at the zero razor blade, but it's not like bicked to bald. So 
maybe it's triply offensive for Baines. You've got the man bun, then you've got the shave down to the scalp with the mask and the beard. The thing with Baines is his hair's not even that long that the bun even looks remotely decent. It's just kind of a little squidge on the top of his head. It, lo- it looks like, actually, it looks like a little ball of rubber bands that's kind of been stuck there. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. It doesn't even look like hair on the top of his head. I agree. It does look more like rubber bands. It's kind of what I thought during the Olympics. Is I, I didn't think it was his hair at first. I thought maybe he was tying the mask up. I had no idea what that was at first. See, I think Baines could pull it off. He should just shave the whole thing. Because if he would shave his head, wear the mask, and have that beard, I think he could actually look sort of scary in a good way, yeah. rather than scary like the scary he is now, which is just scary. Right. Go for the Boban, just overall scary. to you would look like that. Well, he, he's got a brisket that they sell at the palace. Imagine him serving that to you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the type of server that, yeah. I, you're right. Maybe we should go by some sort of, like, server standard here with our big men haircuts, and that that's just not acceptable. Anything else, Ben? Anything else you wanted to, to mention before we uh, call it a podcast? No, I think, you know, generally I think Pistons fans should be happy that the Pistons are 2-1, and one, and I think they have a really good chance to go 4-2. and two. I, have, I think they can go 2-1 and one over the next week. And I think that's, all things considered, a really great place to be. So that's reasons to be optimistic and happy. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been, after these last two games, I'm feeling a lot better than I was Thursday morning after watching the game on Wednesday. So that's Ooh, something to look forward to. Questions. I've got more questions. Ooh. Oh, okay. Here we go. I, I sent a quick one on DBV on the post-game thread for the Bucks game. And, uh, Prava responded. Uh, Ryan Provado, he said, you've got to keep Baines somehow, right? He's proven more valuable than last year, and Burbine just can't match up with the quicker teams. Or is Baines expendable because Lua and his ability to possibly play center in certain situations? I just can't see Burbine being the backup. Baines has to stick around. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, Ben, I, depends I, on It depends on what the win-loss record is come trade deadline, I think. If the Pistons are in a really good position in the playoff picture, I think they keep him. And if for whatever reason things start to crumble, maybe they look to move him. But I, I have to agree. He's been fantastic. And Boban just unfortunately can't match up all the time. I wonder if the win-loss record will come into play more at this deadline as he tr- thinks about ways to improve the roster. Uh, ben, I know we've talked about possibly trading Aaron Baines. But maybe if the team is playing well and he's playing well in the, those limited 10 to 15 minutes a game behind uh, Drummond, Maybe we just keep him and kind of ride it out for the year. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't think Stan can afford to do something to risk the playoffs this season after having made the playoffs last season. I think they need to get back to the playoffs. So I would have to agree after three games, Baines looks a lot less expendable than it sort of looked like on paper going into the season. Right, and part of that was just the contract. So I think the follow-up question to that, and Quags will ask you, uh, is Baines a player with what he's giving the Pistons so far, someone that we need to lock up in the off season, uh, knowing that he has that player option and might be looking for more money. Are you willing to pay Aaron Baines more for what he gives the Pistons? Ooh, I think it kind of depends on what we do with KCP as well, because I don't think like, especially if we do cave and give him the 20 million, which at this point I kind of hope we don't, but we'll leave that aside for now. Um, it's kind of what do you think he's going to demand? Because I think the, was this the last year of the cap jump, or does it go up again next year? I can't remember. 
it's going to go up again, but I don't, it's not going to be as significant, is it? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. No, I think um, it's about 15 million more that it goes up. Oh, is it? Okay. That's, that's, well, that, that's, that, that's a lot. That's a whole Bane's contract. True. That would be a full Bane's contract. Well, I think the interesting thing is also what does Baines want? Because I think an interesting thought experiment is how many teams in the NBA could Aaron Baines start for? And it's a not insignificant number. I think he is that good. And, you know, like I was watching the, the Warriors' first game where they went out and laid an egg. Aaron Baines could start for the Warriors, and he would make the Warriors better. And, you know, not that there's a realistic trade. I was just, you know, thinking Aaron Baines is better than any center the best team on the planet has. So there are lots of teams that might be willing to pay Baines more than the Pistons can even think about asking. So I think that's got to factor in as well. What is What does he want to do in terms of his contract and in terms of the role he wants to play? Because he's, you know, he's not an old player, but this is probably going to be his last, you know, long-term deal. And he might want to go somewhere where he can play 22, 24, 26 minutes a night. Well, Quags, thanks for coming on. And we'll definitely have you on very soon. I know we've got guests for the next few lined up. Uh, so the next time you're on, Ben Gulker will probably be a father. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, but Quags, yeah, we'll definitely have you on again. Do we know gender or is it a secret? It is not a secret. We're having a baby girl. She's due two weeks from today. So, uh, so no Ben Jr. No, not well, not yet anyways. Oh, all right. There's, a, there's no really feminine version of Ben, is there, unless you want the kid to get bullied. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not aware of one. So, yeah, definitely not going to be any sort of play on either of our names actually well i've seen girls called ryan so you know yeah i think yeah. i know i know a girl that goes by benny i don't know what her actual name is but benny is the the nickname so it's not not crazy to, to have a yeah. ben jr that was my nickname in high school though so i don't know that might feel kind of <laughs> that, that might feel surprise surprise yeah yeah not not much thought was put into that i didn't really have one either it was usually like jb or just initials or something which yeah is kind of kind of just phoning it in uh, ben, so yeah, the next time we talk, it'll be after the Knicks, Nets, and Nuggets game. So hopefully the team is 5-1 and one and we have more good news to talk about. That's right. All right, awesome. I'll talk to you guys soon.